Welcome back, everybody, to the Welcome to the J podcast, hosted by me, Jahans Managa, aka Canadian Red Bull. This is all presented by the Field of 68 Media Network. So remember to like and subscribe uh, to stay in touch with all the content that we have on College Hoops. I'm not only myself representing the Crane Blue Jays, but a bunch of different hosts representing the alma maters as well. And also don't forget to download the Locker Room app where we'll be doing post-game and pre-game shows where we get to interact with fans. You guys get to type in or actually speak uh, your questions to us and we'll try to answer them to the best of our ability. Today on our 10th episode of the Welcome to the J podcast, we have a very, very, very special guest from Wichita Falls, Texas. He scored 2,167 collegiate points, including 1,292 as a Blue Jay. He's on a short list with Doug McDermott and Bob Foreman as the only Blue Jays with multiple 600-point seasons. He was first-team All-Big East in 2017 and 2018, All-Big 12 second-team and newcomer team and all-rookie team as a freshman. As a pro so far, he's played in Korea, Lebanon, Israel, Greece, as well as two stints in the NBA Summer League. He's a two-guard with better post moves than most of your fours <laughs> and fives out there. Marcus Foster, baby. Welcome to the gym, boy. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's a privilege to be hey, on. Man, it's good to see you, man. How you living? How you holding up? I'm cool. I'm cool. You know, just trying to make it out here in this weird time. You know, we've been on lockdown for like going on four months now, so we've just been at the house. COVID season has been crazy, right? Man, it's been it's been different. This one the weirdest. Uh, I, it it's what kind of restrictions do they have you guys under? Because I know like here in Lithuania, like you can't even walk outside without wearing a mask. Like the social distance doors, especially, is like all time high crucial. So what kind of restrictions do they have you under? Yeah, so like you can't go anywhere without a mask. Like so you gotta you have to text a number. Like say if you want to just go walking or go to the grocery store, you have to text a number in order to leave the house. But as far as that, we're only allowed to go to the basketball gym and back to the house besides if we're traveling. So yeah, they got them strict strict restrictions. You know, they, they let us off of lockdown for a week, then everything got bad again. So they put us right back on lockdown. So yeah, it's crazy. That's, that's crazy. Like I, at least it helps you focus on ball, right? You just go home, come back, you go to practice, yeah, yeah. come back, that's it. No distractions, no no in-between stuff, no shenanigans. <laughs> exactly right. That's why I, I feel bad for some of my teammates, you know, the ones that just go into the gym and, and uh, going home by themselves, you know, beside my right. daughter and my wife right here. So that makes it a whole lot better. That, that definitely makes it a whole lot better. So before we take a deep dive into you, your career, obviously where you're at right now, we got to talk about the boys I know you still stay in touch with the team. You still watch when you can, all that stuff. Tomorrow, the boys play Villanova at home. I always know Villanova is a tough team. You always know Villanova is a tough team. What is it about Villanova and Creighton that that game is always a super hype game? It's always going to be a super challenging one. And basically, both teams have to come out guns blazing in order to get a victory. Yeah, I mean, it's always a tough one just because, you know, especially in these recent years, Creighton and Villanova being one of the top teams in the country, top teams in the conference. So, you know, anytime they meet up and honestly, it's like the coaches, you know, you got Jay Wright on one side, Greg McDermott, two great coaches. So it's always a good game. You know, that's that's all. Everybody always looks forward to playing Villanova just because how they play. And it's always tough. We always used to talk about how to beat Villanova. You have to, you have to be more perfect than them. 
because they don't they don't mess up at all. It's they don't crazy. make little mistakes. They don't make little mistakes. They stay solid. They're gonna use the pump fade. They're gonna take the open shots. So you know that's that's always one thing you gotta consider coming in and being disciplined. So it's gonna be a good game. I'm definitely gonna be tuned in for that one. What's been your impression of this year's team? Like I said, I know that you're watching. I know that you're keeping your nose to the ground, paying attention and all that stuff. So what's been your impression of this year's team? How far do you think this team can actually go? Yeah, I think with this team, they're, they're still trying to figure it out. They're still a good team. You know what I'm saying? There are days where they're looking like, okay, they're one of the best teams in the country. But, you know, there's days where they're not. And, you know, you got Marcus. I know he just got back a few weeks ago from his injury. And then he had surgery in offseason. So it's tough, too. And, you know, um, I've always said it's hard not to play in CenturyLink or now Shot Center uh, without the fans. You know, even for me this season, it's tough not playing with fans. So you don't have that extra. It's hard. Yeah, it's hard. Especially, you know, there's some games you go into, you like, okay, I don't feel like playing. But once that crowd gets you going, you you get that energy. So then you start getting into that mode. But I know it's tough for them not having the fans when you played in front of the fans, you know, since that whole time beating it, not having them. But you know, I think the best thing about this team is they have so many weapons and that's what it takes to win in the tournament. You know, you can't, right. you can't have just one guy because, you know, if that one guy is not playing at his best in the tournament, they end up losing. So I think with having more multiple weapons, it'll help this team out during the stretch in the tournament. Your senior year was Mitch Ballack's freshman year, and also DJ was an uh, incoming transfer, so he had to sit out that year. How crazy is it to see those guys' development where they're at now compared to, like, where they were at then when I'm sure you guys yeah. went at it in practice. I'm sure you taught them a few lessons on the court for sure, but how, how crazy is it to see, like, how good of players they've developed into and now they're the leaders of the team that, you know, you were a leader of when you were a senior? It's crazy, especially especially like in Mitch Mitch Ballack's situation. I've known him since he was in eighth grade. You know, he used to come right. to Kansas State all the time and play in open gyms with us. So I've known him for a while, and I follow I follow his career all the way through high school because you know I thought I knew how good of a, a player he was. And, you know, I remember I got to host Mitch on my uh, when I was a when I was a junior. I got to host him for his visit and. You know, just to be around him. I've never been around a guy like that. Like, you know, usually usually you want to go out or do stuff, hang out with people. He's like, let's go to the gym. I'm like, that's what right. you want to do on your visit? So, yeah. you know, I've always respected him, and he's one of the hardest working play, uh, players I've ever played with. And, you know, to see DJ especially come come out of uh, his shell this season, because, you know, last year he had some injuries and kept battling back and forth. So to see him coming out of shell and being the player that I've always knew he could be, it's just amazing to see. DJ has been my favorite player to watch all year. I've repeated about, I don't know, like 50,000 times on this podcast. Uh, his impact on the game, not only obviously scoring, he can do that, but it's the rebounding, it's the leadership, it's the toughness, it's all the 50-50 balls that he's able to get. What has impressed you the most about him, like personally, and, and just seeing like obviously the things that he can do, not only affecting the game by scoring, but in multiple different ways? Uh, really just, like, being there through his process uh, when he first got there and seeing the player he was, you know. Being honest, DJ wasn't as nowhere near the level he is now. So to see him come in from day one and adapt to the system and learn and then go through some adversity that he learned, I just like the fact that, you know, he got that dog in him and he, he doesn't let anything hold him back. And he, 
you know, he comes prepared every day, and you know at least he's going to give you something. If he's not scoring, he's going to do some other defensive end. If, he, if he's not uh, he's not knocking down shots, he's going to try to rebound. So that's what I love about him, and just being there for the process and seeing how where he is now, you know, it makes me happy to see. Let's talk about you for a little bit, the pride of Hershey High. You scored a career 2,388 points, <laughs> Yo, Marcus, you've been a bucket, boy. You've been a bucket. What? How, how? Like, look, I didn't play high school basketball in the state, so like, when I look at mm-hmm. numbers like that, I try to think about about my. I think about I think about my high school career back in Canada. I don't even know if I got anywhere close to that, and I was considered a really good player. So, when did it start that you realized, yo, putting the ball through a hoop is it easy? That's easy for me. It really started, like, eighth grade. So, like, me, crazy thing is me growing up, being in Texas, like, I, I wanted to play football. Like, that's what I wanted to do. But then being in Texas and how serious it is and how big everybody was, I'm like, I'm, I'm not trying to get hit like that. So, I started really focusing in uh, on basketball. My Going into my eighth grade year, I started just focusing in on it. You know, my mom found this guy that was a trainer down there, and I just started working out with him, and I just started taking it serious. And, you know, playing – I played varsity as a freshman, you know, so each year that helped. And also I played uh, on the AU circuit with the Dallas Mustangs, and we were top five in the country every single year. So, you know, we're playing the best players. So, you know, I've gone up against all the competition. I just really stuck to my game, you know, knowing what I can do. Don't try to get outside of what I can do and just put the ball in the hole, really. If people know you, they know that you're basically a gym rat. You're always in the gym. You're look, always looking at new ways to get better, to perfect your craft. Where did you get that kind of work ethic from where you consistently stayed in the gym, obviously growing up? And I'm sure you do that again when you go back home in the summertime. Mm. Yeah, it was kind of it's kind of weird for me. Like my whole mindset going, growing up when I was in high school and uh elementary school type stuff I was really just I was so focused on playing division one basketball like NBA was never in my mind like I just really wanted to play division one basketball because that's all all me and my dad would sit up and watch so you know I knew it what it took especially being from a small place that I'm from you know not many people are coming down there to check out people from Wichita Falls so I knew I had to be special so you know I just stuck with it and I always made sure I was in the gym if it's not in the morning after practice and you know, even to this day, that's that's one of the reasons why I still get jobs overseas because when teams call, they're like, hey, he's he's always in the gym no matter if he's playing good or bad. You know, he's staying extra or he's coming in early. That's a lesson for all you kids out there. I'm telling you, man, practice pays off. Consistency mm-hmm. pays off. Obviously, Marcus, you're a walking testimony to that. Uh, kids don't understand how tough it is you know like you said you came from a small place you understood at that point in your life look not a lot of people are going to come out here and recruit me I better when I get my opportunity I better stand out and obviously you did Uh, I'm sure before you come into K-State a ton of schools wanted you this is one of my favorite questions to ask guys who come on the on the podcast what other schools were you looking at straight out of high school I'm going to ask you the same question obviously when you entered the transfer market but straight out of high school what schools were you looking at aside from K-State um at the time it was uh Marquette Marquette Texas um Lehigh um and Creighton those are my final final five schools yeah which I always tell people crazy I always tell people like 
you know, I'm happy I went to K-State, but I always wish I could have went to Creighton my, my first year <laughs> out of high school. I always wish that. Yeah, and I think if there's something I could change, I think that's my something I would change and do. Because that team y'all had was special, too. Well, we had a we had such a unit like we were just so like tightly wound together like nothing was going to separate us and off the court man honestly some of the best times of my life on the court mm-hmm. some of the best times of my life I'm still really close friends if not best friends with a lot of those guys to this day so you know it's crazy that how the world works you ended up being in a crate uniform too mm-hmm. like I said you were I already mentioned you being you know uh on the all-newcomer team, all-rookie team, your freshman year, Big 12 second team. So when you hit that transfer portal, I'm sure schools are hitting you up asking for availability. So kind of talk to me about that process. You ultimately decide to choose Creighton, but talk about that process of once again being recruited by a whole bunch of schools, which the first time around obviously didn't have a chance to get you. The second time around, really wanting to have you in their program. Yeah, it was the second time was crazy, especially coming off the two years I had. So like I had schools like Louisville, Florida, <laughs> UConn, Miami, uh, Gonzaga. It was just crazy all the teams I was calling me. So you know, but then when it really came down to it, um, I'll never forget this. I transferred. I transferred, or I went to the transfer portal on Tuesday. I had my release on Wednesday. Uh, Coach McDermott came down to see me on Friday. Oh, so, gee. Coach, I, that's Coach what I said. He came on Friday. And he drove, he drove from Omaha, drove to Manhattan. Then he said he had to go to Kansas City. So that's why he did it. But he drove, came down to see me, talked to me for about almost two hours. And I was like, after that, I knew I was going to crazy. Uh, it, it was obvious, right. you know, especially dealing with the people I was dealing with. I wasn't dealing with a lot of head coaches that was as serious as he was. And it was more not basketball, just trying to help me, you know, navigate my life. So that's what I really appreciated the most. Before all this, though, before we skip over your high school career, uh, you had a chance, or not your high school career, your collegiate career, you had a chance to go to LeBron James Skills Academy. Talk to me about that experience. Obviously, being one of those players chosen is a big deal. Um, you go into a camp like that, it really like helps put your name out there, especially on the NBA radar and, and the pro radar and stuff like that. So talk to me about your personal experience, you know, how you played, and talk to me about some of the guys who were in that camp alongside with you who really stood out to you in your eyes. Um, yeah, so that was, that was a nerve-wracking thing for me because that was like the first time I – been on the scene where like NBA scouts is there and you're going against guys that are potentially going to be lottery picks. So that was like nerve wracking at first, but at, at, after that, I just really locked in and started playing. You know, I'm, I was going against uh, Terry Rozier every day. Like that was my one-on-one partner. Me and him had a lot of battles. Um, I also went against Jordan Mickey. Um, George Niang was there. Um, there's just a lot. Aaron White, he's on my team now, but it was just a lot of players. That's crazy that he's on your team exactly. right now. <laughs> That's actually it's crazy. crazy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? All the guys that I met, you know, that I played at the LeBron camp, and now I know personally, you know, just through Summer League, or we might have worked out together in a couple of NBA workouts. So, you know, that, that really helped take my career off, too, you know, as far as, like, getting noticed by the NBA. You have never been a bashful player. You, I don't think there's a shot that you've ever taken that you didn't like. 
talk to me about like obviously you're a very competitive guy like I've seen it so often when I go back to Omaha and I train in the summertime when you're still on the team uh you're actually part of one of my favorite teams with you with Wab, JP, Kyrie I think Isaiah was a senior that year Cole man when I was overseas and I stayed up at 2 a.m 3 a.m to watch you guys fight out one of my favorite teams to watch from the time that I've graduated up until now uh, the connection that you and Kyrie have uh, when I used to go back and saw you guys just literally beat each other up every single day, where did that kind of competitive nature obviously come from for you and talk about what it did to not only help you get better, but in a guy like Kyrie, you really, really pushed him to get to that next level. Uh, you know, while you got, while you guys were on the same team. Um, I, it's, I think it just came from my friends really back home growing up. Like we're all competitive, like, Hide and seek, tag, all that. Like, like we're trying to win. So I think that's from the I'm playground. <laughs> yeah. So like, growing up, then once I really got good at basketball, like I'm like, okay, if I'm step on the court, I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to be the best one on the court, and I'm gonna talk trash to you. I'm gonna let you know. So that's where that all came from. And then, you know, I just I noticed coming to Creighton, you know, Kyrie. Kyrie immediately stuck out to me, you know what I'm saying? Of course, Justin Patton does, you know, he's a seven-footer that can do anything. Kyrie stuck out to me because, you know, he's he's my height with long arms that can do so many things right. that he didn't know, you know, that if you know Kyrie, like, he didn't know how good he was as a freshman until, like, he got older. But I think now he, the older he gets, the more he realizes how good he is. So that's one thing I always knew, like, all right, if I'm going against Kyrie every day, and I want to go against Kyrie because he's the best defender in the conference. So I want to go against him every day, and I want to talk trash to him, and I want him to, you know, be prepared for these games that we're going to have because you're going to go against guys that's like that or my same skill set. So, and I, and he didn't back down. That's why I like, like, at first it was, it was funny because he, he was quiet. Like, I'll talk trash yeah. to him. He wouldn't say a word, but then the older we got, the more he started talking trash to me and all that. So it was a good relationship to form, you know, in the competitive nature. I remember when I was back in the summertime and I think I stepped into a practice in a scrimmage with you guys. You guys actually like really got into it almost face to face. And I remember thinking, I don't think this is functional <laughs> for a team to operate like this. As the summer obviously went on and I came to more practices, I just saw that it was a recurring theme where you were really, you know, trying to just get under his skin to get the best out of them. Mm-hmm. I go overseas the next year, I watch you guys play and the dynamic between you two works. So yeah. I was like, hey, the boys figured it out. It, it is what it is. And that's, that's what just, I really love. That's, that's crazy because that's one thing I talked about, like, you know, coming up because usually people, people never saw me as like the leader. You know, after my junior year, they didn't see me as the leader of the team. Because just how I am, you know, I'm laid back. I, I do my job. You know, I'm yeah. going to talk trash to you, but I'm going to work hard. Texas. <laughs> you're, you're yeah, Texas. exactly, exactly. So people didn't understand <laughs> it. But, no, the more time people, like, they really got to know me and understand, like, okay, like, he's not talking trash because he doesn't like me. He's talking trash because he wants the best out of me. So now, you know, we got to the games and, you know, we're deep in games and we're having problems. And if I can look over it and, like, if I can yell at you and tell you what to do and you respond in the right way, not thinking I'm hating on you or anything like that, I figured that's how we knew we had a good team. Because I think in on another note, people held me accountable in the same way. You know, they looked at me like, okay, if I'm, he talks to me this way, then I'm going to talk to him this way too. And 
I respond because it's like, okay, now you get it. We're on the same page. The standout for me for that year's team, obviously, I knew how good you were. I knew how, Maurice, how good Maurice was. Kyrie was coming into his own for sure, but JP took leaps. Every game, you saw that he was getting better. His confidence was growing. I think it was one game on the road against Providence where, like, he tried to go for a handoff. It wasn't there. He just scored up, knocked down the three, and I was like, he's got that in his pack. Yeah. Talk to me about, like, that quick development that we saw from a kid who redshirted. He was frail, you know, didn't necessarily know what his job or his role on the team was. So literally the next year as a redshirt freshman, he comes out guns blazing, and he's a totally different kid. Yeah, that's the crazy thing. Like, we really we really didn't give Justin a role, like, what he was supposed to do. I think it was crazy because each week he kind of got better and understood what he needed to do. Like, it was crazy to see him go from, okay, this Justin Patton, the 200-pound kid, now he has to wait on him. 190. Yeah, Don't do it was that. crazy. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm like, I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this dude like, no way he can play in the biggies. But to see him, you know, each each week get better and better, and then he come in his own. Now he got his own game. Now we're running plays through him because people don't know we we really never ran plays for Justin like at the beginning of the season. Like we weren't throwing him the ball, letting him post up, none of that. And then he just kept getting better and better to where it was like we need the ball in his hands to make plays, not to score, maybe to pass, but we need the ball in his hands. And it was just crazy because I've never seen anything like that. And it was just so unexpected. Like, of course, we knew he would be an NBA player, but we didn't think he would come off his rest a year and be almost right. a lottery pick. So you guys had a pretty successful year. Uh, when I asked some of the fans on Twitter if they had any questions for you, a, a few people brought up that game winner against Xavier at the Garden where you just <laughs> walked in and just pulled up, splashed it after Xavier just made a play on the other end. Obviously, your nose stranger to big moments you kind of hunt them whenever the game's on the line I saw it when I was scrimmaging with you guys whenever uh, we play pickup and you know that the game's on the line all of a sudden your eyes get big and you're running yeah. towards the ball uh, talk about like what it takes to step up in moments like that and to consistently do it over time where even when you're overseas now your team still asks you to take big shots and make big shots yeah I mean that that all came from uh, my favorite player Kobe Bryant you know, that's one thing I always rest in peace to the goat. Yeah, for sure. Like, you know, I knew I always wanted to be like Kobe, but I knew my game wasn't wasn't like his, but I knew his mentality. So I knew when the game come on the line, like you gotta be ready to take that shot, make or miss. You just gotta be ready for it. And you know, especially on that stage, it was crazy. Me and one of my friends was talking about it like. You know, what if I have, like, that Kimball Walker moment where he hit that game winner? Uh, Against Ted? In the garden. Yeah. so we were talking about it. And so it was crazy how it all happened. You know, he came down. Especially I like how it happened because Trayvon Brewer, he hit the step back three on me. So I got the ball going right back at him. And so, you know, I know a lot of people tell me, why you didn't wait until the end end of the clock to go down? And I'm like, yeah. I got so excited, Coach Mack was like, let's play. He said, let's play in my ear, and I didn't know what to do, but make a play. So, yeah, you know, that's definitely one of the biggest shots in my career and one of the best moments. And my all my families and my sister, uh, my nephew, uh, my mom and dad. So it was just a good moment to have within there. 
That's dope. You talked about that Kemba Walker moment. You know, I played the big that switched against him a couple of times in Germany. <laughs> and I find it very hard when I was playing against him. <laughs> hey, I could not crazy. say anything. Bro, I, I'm telling you, I had that thought literally like from tip off until the final buzzer. I was like, you're going to say something. Sorry, don't say nothing. Don't say nothing. And it didn't matter what was happening. He may have got a rebound. He may have got a dunk. I wanted to walk over and be like, you know what, Kemba the T was wrong, right? Like, hey, I would lose it, man. I would lose it. <laughs> it's crazy to like the kind of guys that you see overseas that like you kind of grew up, like you said, like you watch those games, you vividly remember those games to the point where you always imagine yourself having one of those big moments. What are some kind of surprise players that you've seen overseas that you played against that you're like, oh, he's out here too? Like, I'll give you an example of mine. Like, when I was playing in Germany again, the first time I played against Peyton Siva, this is a guy who, when I was in high school and I saw his hoop mixtape, I was like, yo, Hi. like, this is what I got to be. This is what I got to look like. Mm -hmm. So, like, have you ever had uh, those types of moments, obviously, playing overseas, playing a number of different guys? Um... I probably say one of my one of my one of my memories probably be like Mario Chalmers. I played him. I'm, he's out here in Greece, and it's like I'm like, dang, it's like you know, starting point guard NBA final, you know, two time NBA champ, champ. champ. yeah. And I'm going against him. So him, um, Norse Cole. I played Norse Cole this season. It was as well, right? Yeah. Um, Gabe York, I've always had that about Gabe York. That's that's I've, I've cut it out. Gabe York too. You know, he's mixtape, yeah. and I was compared yeah. to him. Like rivals compared me. Like that's my player comparison. So like I've always mm -hmm. wanted to go against him. So I got to go against him last year. So it's a, it's a lot. It's crazy. It's a lot of NBA guys and guys that you've seen in college that you would think that they should be in the NBA or out there too. It just kind of speaks to the difficulties of actually making to the league like you see all these guys who are alongside you the media loves them they have a great story but for whatever reason the league is a different animal different beat doesn't mean that they're not good players doesn't mean that they don't deserve a check right. for what they're doing it just means they kind of have to find a different avenue like i mentioned earlier you had two summer league stints so you've been on those radars i think you're still on those radars I'm sure it's your ultimate goal, obviously, like the competitor that you are. I know that you're looking at some of these games. You're like, man, I should be out there too, right? So what are the things that you feel like you still have to work on in order to get to that level? And obviously, we're all rooting for you to get there. Yeah, um, really my, my play point guard, more kind of a, a passer role. I think that's one thing that NBA teams are kind of skeptical on because I'm only 6'2". So, you know, they, they look at me as like, okay, you got to play point guard. So we know you can score. You know, that's one thing all the NBA scouts say, like, we know you can go out and score on anybody in the NBA, but, you know, we need these other assets that, uh, that you have, like, defensively. You know, that was one of the biggest things for me in college. You know, they were like, can you, can you defend? Can you defend these point guards in the NBA? And I think each season I played pro, I think I'm showing people that I can add on to my game. And that's why, you know, I've had some teams when I signed this year that was in the NBA, like, oh, okay, we're going to be paying attention to you because the season we had last year. So, you know, they're just telling me to keep up the good work and all that. So, you know, I think really just be able to play that point guard role and be able to be a defender and be a role player. 
is something that, you know, will help me get to that next level. I've seen a couple of your games this year. I think I watched you actually pick up full court one-on-one against some point guards. So I guess you're kind of well on your way. If that's the feedback I've been telling you that you're working on it for sure. I never it's thought crazy. I'd see you doing that, bro. Me, me, me and Coach Mack, because Coach Mack, he'll call me he'll call me every once in a while. We'll talk and I'll be like, I'll tell him, like, if you had the player that I am now in, uh, when I was at Creighton, I was, I was yeah. like, yeah, you might have a chance to do something because I'm like, I'm, <laughs> I'm a better defender. I'm actually trying to play defense. And he's like, ain't no way you playing defense. I'm like, coach, I'm really out here trying to play defense. It's crazy. It's great that you mentioned that because it was one of the questions I was going to ask you anyways. But you becoming a better player, obviously, now as a pro, you're older, you're wiser, you have more experience. What are some of the key differences that Korean fans, like, wouldn't necessarily know about your growth as a player uh, now that you're a pro compared to the player that they saw as a collegiate athlete? Um, I think one of a better, I'm a better uh, defender, like what we talked about. You know, that's something I really have. Like people, teams, teams usually lean on me to guard, you know, if not the best player, one of the best players on the court. And my passing ability has, has gotten somewhat better, but ultimately they'll, they'll be really proud of my shot selection. <laughs> you know, I take, I try to make sure I take better <laughs> shots than I, have, <laughs> than I have in the past, but you know, I still I still take my crazy shots here and there, but my slot selection has been a lot better since since I, yeah. since I turned pro. <laughs> the, the heat the heat checks have to stay. That's your DNA, bro. You're not gonna get rid of that. That's just hey, that's heat checks are not going anywhere. Yeah, it's not going anywhere. People think people be laughing. I, I make two threes, and the next the next four shots is going up still. Right. Talk about life and how different that is as a pro and as a collegiate athlete obviously I always say you know we're pretty much kind of doing the same thing as we were in college minus the study hall minus the three classes a day so it's a little bit more free time but it's also more opportunities to work on your craft so kind of talk to me about like what you've learned from being a pro compared to what it was like when you were back at school the main thing really for me is taking care of my body uh you know, I remember back back in college, even high school, I used to be able to just pick up the ball, no stress, go windmills, you know, with none of that. But now it's like right. I got to do treatment. You know, I got to make sure I live. I got to make sure I eat right first because if I don't eat right, you know, your body starts feeling different. So I think just taking care of my – it's crazy. I really – I spend – I probably spend 30 to 45 minutes before practice, about 20, 20 to 30 minutes after practice just taking care of my body. And just making sure, because, you know, you have all this extra free time. So, you know, I just try to make sure my body is at its best. And, you know, the goal is always for it to hold up as long as it can. The season is such a grind, too. Like, we play, you know, in your domestic league, you might play, like, 30-some games. You're playing EuroLeague as well, too. So you add on another 25 to 30, depending on how far you guys make it, right? So the season is such a grind, and you – it goes from the end of August for most all the way up until like mid-May, early June for others. So you being on a team right now in Greece, who's considered one of the better teams always, you guys are always going to make a deep run in the Greek league as well as, uh, you know, depending on the year, you could be final four in your league too. Have you thought about, you know, how much further on we're in February right now, but how much further on you have until going before you have to go home? Definitely, I definitely have the countdown going. 
for sure. It's that part, <laughs> it's that part of the year, especially always yeah. tell myself, make it to March. <laughs> Just make it to March and everything will be good, you know. By it's all downhill after March. <laughs> everything will start flying by after that. So, you know, I think I always tell people the toughest part is usually, usually like for me, January and January, February, because you've been here for like four, four months, you know, especially the pre, depending on your preseason too. You know, we had a pretty crazy preseason where we was going two a days, like three times a week. So, you know, it was a tough preseason. It just felt long. And especially with the COVID season, we didn't play. We ended up playing our first game until I think October 13th or something like that. So we went almost two months or two and a half months without playing. So you just out here practicing every day. So that, that took a toll on me. But, you know, I think – and traveling. You're traveling two days a week sometimes. Sometimes you got back-to-back road games. So that grind gets you towards the end. But you always see that light of the tunnel. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Uh, let's talk about you had you had a chance to play in two NCAA tournaments. We already kind of talked about this particular year's team and, and their shot of going far. Let's talk about the teams that you were a part of. And it's something that I've been kind of a stickler for. It always seems like Crane gets kind of like a bad draw or like whatever the case may, may be. But in Crane's history, we still haven't made it past their first weekend. Your junior year, you know, uh, Coach Murphy – was a Rhode Island player. You guys end up running into a hot Rhode Island team and you get bounced mm-hmm. out super early. And the following year, your last year, lo and behold, you play K-State, which is crazy to it's me. Crazy. I always felt like the NCAA always tries to line up these stories just right. It happened yeah, to exactly us when Doug... To right. Doug versus Harrison Barnes, and it ended up giving us a second-round matchup against North Carolina, where we felt like we probably shouldn't have been. Uh, I think we were eight feet that year. So mm-hmm. talk to me about, like, obviously how tough it is to play in the NCAA tournament. And, you know, I always had this one regret that we just never made it past that first weekend. So kind of talk to me about your experience and, you know, how you felt, obviously, that first year where you felt like you could have beat Rhode Island and didn't do that then full circle moment comes back the next year around where you end up losing to the school that you uh, went to in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Like my junior, my junior year was tough because that, that was tough. I think at the time we were seven in the nation and we was, we were rolling. Like we had everything figured out and we were rolling in final 14. And then with Maurice Watson going down, you know, then that being my best friend. So that was tough. That was tough on me. And having to finish the season without him and trying to figure out everything. Like, we did. I remember just we tried everything. Like, I think I played point guard for two games to see if we can figure it out. And, you know, then we finally we finally make a run in the uh, in the Big East tournament and get to the tournament. So now we feel like, okay, we figured it out. But, you know, we found a team that was very well prepared and they got hot at the right time. So mm-hmm. that, that, one, that one always sucks because – Especially going like uh, my following year doing NBA stuff and doing NBA leagues. Every GM I talked to, like, yeah, that team, that team your junior year, I think they they could have won the Final Four or gone to the Final Four just at how talented he was. So I always, that's I'm one telling thing I you, always that was my favorite Creighton team to watch. 
That was my favorite Korean team to watch, bro. Like, I would stay up ungodly hours to watch that team because I knew every night something crazy was going to happen. It's either like a pick and roll with Wap and JP for a dunk over a big, or you would just go baseline and tomahawk over a guy, or Kyrie would get a steal. Mm -hmm. Like, it was just every game was like, yo, who's going to do something crazy tonight? It was crazy because it's like we knew playing, like, we knew matter no matter what. He was like, no matter what, at the end of the four minutes, we're going to figure out a way to win. Like, regardless of what happens, we're going to figure uh-huh. out a way to win. So, I do, I do miss that team a lot. Is that I wish we could finish that and really, really um, see what could have happened. And then, uh, turn around to my senior year, I don't think people – people really don't realize how tough that, that K-State game for me was. Just because I had a lot of emotions, you know, with the situation and how everything was, and then to have to play them. And like, and on top of that, it's like your senior year, and yeah. you know you holding on to all those memories, and you're like, dang, I really don't want to want to let this go. So then you get carried away in all these emotions that you forget you got to play the game. So my mind was on so many other things that I couldn't really focus on the game, and it ended up we ended up losing. So that was a tough one to swallow too, especially being my last game. Yeah, I was gonna say. Super unfortunate that was your last game. You have given the Blue Jays fans so many great memories, obviously, for those two years that you were able to play in. And for it to kind of end that way, obviously, I'm sure you were super disappointed. You got one last chance to represent the Korean Blue Jays uh, the same way that Ethan did in the Final Four three-point competition. Uh, I talked to Ethan about his experience, you know, what he went through and how fun of a weekend that was. You know, the last time that he got to put on the jersey was in a, uh, you know, celebrated way. And the same thing happened with you. You were celebrated for being there, for being a Blue Jay, for, you know, obviously our models let it fly and you got to represent doing the Mm three-point competition. So talk about that Final Four weekend, what it meant for you, you know, to represent the Jays in that fashion one last time. Yeah, that that was a good moment to be able to put the jersey on, pick pick which jersey I want to wear for my last time being able to wear it. So, you know, it was it was definitely an honor. I, I feel like I got cheated a little bit on how they did the field, but that's, that's another story. <laughs> we'll talk about that another time. But nah, that weekend was good, and you know, I got to play in the um the college college all star game too. So. It was good, you know, Coach, awesome. yeah. Coach Murph was there, Coach Lou was there. So then I got to watch the Final Four. So it was a good moment. I was glad I was able to have it. Last question before I let you go. It's become one of my favorite questions to ask the guests who play overseas. What's going to be that first meal when you land back at the crib? I need to know. <laughs> hey, I'm glad you asked that. I'm glad. <laughs> My first meal every time I touch down, being from Texas, is, is water burger. I knew it. I, yo, I, honestly, water I could. Burger every time. I'm gonna, it's crazy. Me I have a teammate this year from it. El Paso, and he talks about water burger all the time. I'm like, bro, I, I've never had it, but I just know Texas boys feed on it. <laughs> water burger is the go to. I'm telling you, water burger for a week straight. <laughs> So in a little bit, a little bit of Chick-fil-A, but we, we water every day. <laughs> yeah. 
So I know Justin Carter was Chick-fil-A, Will Artina was Chick-fil-A, you're a Whataburger. So I, I just got to make sure I keep a list of what everybody is saying, because, you know, that gives me kind of the options too. Now I'm thinking, damn, am I missing out? Like, what's going on, you know? <laughs> right. I'm, I'm telling you, everybody that goes to Whataburger for the first time calls me like, hey, you wasn't lying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Marcus, I appreciate you, man, for taking a little bit of time out, stepping back into the J with your boy. Man, obviously, stay safe. I know it's a long season. Keep grinding, man. I'm, I'm so happy for you where you're at. I get to watch some of your games. I'm, I'm just so excited every time you step onto the court and all that stuff. So it's so dope to see you doing wonderful things. Obviously, keep your head up. Do whatever you got to do. You're almost there, man. Like you said, once you reach March, bro, it's yeah, all downhill for you. So you're almost there. Yeah. It's going to work out. What? Yeah, I appreciate you, bro. Uh, everybody, make sure to like and subscribe to the Field of 68 Media Network. Don't forget to download the Locker Room app for pre- and post-game conversations with myself and also all the various different hosts. Marcus Foster, thank you one more time, bro. Uh, appreciate you. Stay safe. Uh, you and your family, obviously, all right? We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, bro.